All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Harley's Hot Seat. My name's Harley. I'm your host for this episode and, well, all of the episodes because it's my podcast. Um, And on this episode, we have Zev Burton. How are you doing today, Zev? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. So I haven't actually met Zev, but I found him on (laughs) one of his lives because he does math pickup lines. Oh, God. Is that really what I'm going to be known for now? For now. After this podcast, you'll probably be known for something else. But for right now, that's what it is, is math pickup line guy. I'll 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 take it. I'll take it. Well, Zev, today we're going to be talking about your passion for wanting to help people protect themselves from different threats, from really anything. So the first question I have to ask you is, how did you get into this? Uh, So... I go to Georgetown, I study international security, but all of the stuff about military power and bombing and military invasions, I just didn't like that. It didn't sit well with me as I was sitting in class. So what I started to get into was what are some unique ways that we can help keep countries safe or help keep ourselves safe from uh, businesses trying to capitalize on our data from terrorists, from hostile enemies. And I ended up with a bunch of really interesting conclusions. My favorite being humor, although I also talk a lot about data transparency and how businesses are basically farming us for data. All right, cool. Well, I'm all for humor. I do appreciate a good joke and a good political comic every once in a while. (laughs) So what exactly do you want to go into career-wise? Because, you know, you can't, I don't know, what the t- what would be the title for you? Uh, there are a lot of really interesting career paths I've been thinking about. I would love to go into academia someday because then I can just continue researching what I want to research. But I'm also not the greatest student, so I really don't know where that'll go. And I have a lot of qualms with the ivory tower of academia. So who really knows? Uh, as, as long as I can wake up every morning and feel like I'm doing good with my work, like I take no joy in helping other people make money. So I really don't want to end up doing that. So I guess I don't really have an answer like, oh, what is your future job path? As, a, as opposed to what do you want to avoid? that's very fair that's very fair well i gotta agree with you on the academia college is hard it's hard it's rough to be a good college student it's rough you can say that again and luckily i'm graduating and all of that is behind me for now until i decide graduate school we'll see that's later that's later oh no don't do that to yourself i say fully having applied to graduate programs in the last week Good luck. Good luck. I wish you the best. It's hard out here. I appreciate it. I really do. You said that you've become interested in this when you first got into, you know, when you first started going to school. What kind of jobs have you taken to help you learn more about this topic? Yeah, so I've taken a few different jobs. Uh, One of the things I found to be really interesting is living in D.C. and having all sorts of different opportunities present itself. So I've worked at the Federal Communications Division in their uh, kind of national security department, looking at 
how companies, most notably telecommunications companies, that's that Huawei stuff we kept hearing about a lot last year with the Trump administration, and how like they are trying to intrude and get Americans' data. Now I'm working for like an internet group that's uh, working towards creating like a more fair internet. So it's kind of going all over the place, but everything I've ever done so far has been really interesting to me. And I mean, I don't know if I would necessarily call it a job, but like having the following that I do on TikTok, it's so much fun to just talk and meet people. Like, I love it, honestly. I love that. Yeah, TikTok is, I'm going to be honest, when TikTok first came out, I thought it was a joke. I was like, oh, it's not. But yeah, let's talk about TikTok. Why did you decide to join that platform? Uh, I joined because my sister told me I should do it to try and get a community of people that would buy my book. It was purely selfish and I am thankful that my sister pushed me into doing it because once I did more with TikTok, I had a lot more fun. I started doing some jokes, some comedy. I've been a comedian for the past four or five years. Uh, and then started applying what I learned in classes about security studies and domestic terrorism and international news and just kind of created this weird conglomeration all within my TikTok all thanks to my sister saying, Zev, you should try out this new app. I feel like you'd like it. Well, we have to thank, we have to thank the sisters. That's how I got on TikTok as well. My younger sister, she said, just go see what this is. I'm like, okay. Really, younger siblings know, she knows far too much about the internet and it kind of terrifies me. Honestly, it's, it's very terrifying. It's very scary. I'm like, you shouldn't know these things. You're, she's 13 right now. And I'm like, that's not, I didn't know what the internet, I don't think I fully understood what social media even was at 13 or any, or like going viral. I'm like, I don't know. I had a slide phone at 13 and I thought I was so cool because my phone didn't flip, but the keyboard slid out. And I'm embarrassed that I thought I was cool for that. Oh no. That would have been like, the that was the coolest one. I think that was also my, I, I had one that slid. And then my ringtone was crickets. And I was so obsessed with it. I was like, this is, this is, this is it. I've made it. I tell you, the LG Cosmos 2, I will never forget that phone. And like, whenever you would try and go to like text messages, but you would accidentally click on the internet button and you would have to frantically exit out of it just so that your parents didn't get the internet charge. Yes. Yes. 100%. Uh, the amount of times I just went into total fear. I said, I'm going to owe my parents. And at that time, you know, you don't really understand bills too much. So you're like, I was on the internet for like more than five seconds. I'm going to have to pay like $500. That's it. Yeah. It was always like, oh God, we're not going to be able to afford our house payment next month. <laughs> oh. oh, it's so great to know that other people understand those problems. I, I think that's, the weirdness of like i was born in 1999 and mm -hmm. it's not quite millennial i don't i refuse to associate with gen z so like memories like that i think are really unique to like people growing up like from 95 to 2000. it's true it's true i was the end of 98 and yeah i don't 
I don't get it. I'm just like, I get both. I get both generations. Like I was part of this and then they were like, no, you weren't. You were too young. <laughs> but then I'm like, I don't understand what these like 17 year olds are doing right now. I'm like, I, what, what is this? What, is, what are you doing? Someone called me an influencer the other day. Just like one of my friends kind of poking fun at me uh, since just like I do have a decent following on there. And I straight up asked what's an influencer. You, you made it, you made it big and then you lost it. Yeah. All right, awesome. Well, with your book, yeah, let's go ahead and talk about Two Fish in One Tank, your book that is currently out. Or what inspired you to write it? Uh, spite, I think is the right word for it. I was having a conversation with a professor and the professor kept saying, oh, hard power. Uh, hard power is like the military straight up, oh, we can bomb your country. That means we get to dictate what, what is right. And he was a huge advocate for that. And I said, you're telling me there are no other ways to like foster communication between countries. And he said, there's something called soft power, which is like diplomacy, stuff like that. And I really got angry at how serious all of this was because yes, we are talking about people's lives, but that doesn't mean that we necessarily have to act all serious, like diplomats at a table in $5,000 suits, hammering out contracts. Like that just doesn't make sense to me, nor do I think a good diplomat or honestly a good military official would even be like that. So I started looking into, oh, are diplomats funny? That was kind of my initial question. Like, do diplomats joke with each other? The same way, like, oh, there are lawyer jokes, there are doctor jokes. And I ended up coming across a few articles saying, oh, yeah, a diplomat has to be funny. There is absolutely no reason why diplomats should ever be serious. And then that led me down another hole. And I was doing research at the time for the mathematics and statistics department at Georgetown. And apparently my name had gone through uh, like the behind the scenes of academia. And uh, another professor, a business professor reached out to me and said, hey, I've got this program where we help uh, get college students a voice, a platform to write a book, do a podcast series, uh, do a YouTube series, stuff like that. Uh, and he said, oh, I've heard through the grapevine that you're a decent researcher, you know what you're doing, and you've got this weird conglomeration of interests between international security, mathematics, data transparency, and comedy. And he said to me, uh, Look, do you want to try and write a book on the subject? And I said, sure. And I, that was maybe a year ago. And now, I mean, the book is out. <laughs> That's insane. That's insane. Like, because at first thought, you know, you really wouldn't think that you can blend all those topics together successfully, you know? Right. And I mean, I'm still not like, there is that sense of imposter syndrome of like, oh my God, what if I did it? That I think all authors, all college students, all people face. But I mean, I'm proud of the work I've put out. I think I make a decent argument for uh how humor is used 
in the international sphere, whether it be by populations revolting against an oppressive government, uh, diplomats hammering out a contract at a table, or in the book, I even go into what I call bad humor, which is like neo-Nazis and uh, far-right people on the internet using humor to cloak their, uh, their hatred of groups. So I really was able to like bring all of these different topics together. And I, I mean, it was a joy to write. It was really fun look, like I got to for a whole year research jokes. Like that to me is far better than like strange, like biochem stuff. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, as somebody who almost majored in chemistry, I would much <laughs> rather look into jokes than all my chemistry. But I got I learned chemistry puns, so I left with more knowledge than I started with. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what's most important, right? But I'm glad that you really. I think it's really cool when people are able to take their passions and turn it into something more materialistic. Whether it is like a book or a podcast, and they're able to share it with the world and see what they think of it. Is there anything that you wish you should have, you could have done when writing the book that you weren't able to do? Uh, so part of my initial research into the book was I wanted to talk to diplomats. I wanted to talk to people who were in the field. And I were, was able to get into contact with a few of them, which I was very excited about. Uh, some of them asked not to use their name, just for like background information. But there were, I emailed maybe 200 different offices and got maybe three people who emailed back. And a few of them said like, oh, sorry, our diplomats are very busy right now with coronavirus. And I was like, that is fair. That is fair. I'm not going to intrude on that. But I think in retrospect, I wish I would have tried harder to get like, uh, prominent diplomats into the book. Like, fortunately, I was still able to get like the top Icelandic diplomat. Uh, and I had the pleasure of talking to a bunch of other diplomats from a bunch of other countries and a bunch of academics. Uh, I had one interview I did with an expert in Belarusian humor, which by far is one of my favorite stories in the book. So like, I think, I would have liked to get some higher, higher profile interviews, but I mean, they're not going to say yes to just like a college student if this is his first book. So I think given the opportunities I was able to have, which are some really cool opportunities, like technology allowed me to have a full conversation with a humor expert in Belarus, with a diplomat in Iceland, with, uh, with some researchers in Greece. So I think I did the best that I possibly could, given the limitations. So I guess my answer is no, there isn't anything I wish I had done differently. Cool. Yeah, that's really awesome that you were able to have all of those amazing opportunities. And who knows, maybe if you decide to write another book, you know, more people, you'll just start growing. And then people are like, you know what? Actually, I take that back. Can we actually do the interview? And they'll come ask me. <laughs> Oh, that, that would be nice. That would be nice. I mean, who knows how well this book will do. I think it's got a good message. I hope it resonates with people. Uh, I also think it's just fun to read. Like, because a big thing for me, especially when I was talking with a few of my editors, 
is I want it to be fun to read. It's about jokes. It should be funny. You should smile while you read it. You should say, oh, that's funny. Like, or do that little like blow more air out of your nose. Like when you see something that's funny on the internet, you're like, <laughs> like that, that is what I want people to get out of reading my book. And I think, I think they will. I love that. Yeah, I'm all for that. I think it's, I, I'm excited to read it. I actually read a quote the other day and it was like, always say yes to an interview for like a podcast, a newspaper or whatever, even if they're not the biggest outlet right now, because one day they will be and you, you would have wished that you did the interview then. 100%. Like a big thing for me is I will always accept any interview request. I think there are two ways to think about that. One, people accepting interviews with me, like hopefully I get big and they come back and they say, oh, wow, this guy really did just email us out of the blue, followed up a few times, and we never responded. What a shame. But also the idea that like, I always want to do interviews with people and have joy with that because I think the words on the page of the book are very different than like just me talking about the book. It's got a similar voice, but not the same like conversational tone, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And take it, take it for right now, you know, with this interview. My podcast isn't very big right now, but one day, one day. One, one day it will be, and there will be those people who are like headed to Trader Joe's or something like that. And they scroll back and they see, oh, who's this guy with the weird Jewish name? And I'll take that. <laughs> and the podcast just starts out with, this is the guy I found on TikTok because of his math. <laughs> Honestly, I'll take that. I will. I will very gladly take vague, uh, vaguely Jewish math pickup line guy who also wrote a book on comedy. See, so it'll be great. It'll be a great title. A great title. All right, Zeb. I have one more question for you before we wrap up this episode, and it's more of an entertaining question for myself because you have a passion for you know um, helping people protect themselves from threats and stuff. Hypothetically. If the world was to face a zombie apocalypse, where would you go and why? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I think I would go to a Costco. Yes! Unlimited amounts of food. Uh, actually, no, scratch that. I would go to Sam's Club. I'm not sure if they have Sam's Club like, around the world, but uh, it's like a Costco, but they have guns because I come from like small town Indiana. Mm. So there I would have unlimited food, uh, guns, ammo, and they would need a membership card to get in. Thank you, thank you so much. That is my answer to this question all the time and nobody believes me, they're like, that's a stupid answer. And I'm like, listen, okay, if the time comes and you're out in the desert or whatever, you should have listened to me, you should have. Listen, I got food, I got the Costco free samples and zombies can't get in because they aren't gold members. So I win. You do. It's the best, it's the best answer. There's no other answer to that. <laughs> Thank you for proving that point. I it's it's the truth. It's just speaking about the truth. Honestly. Well, Zev, thank you so much for being my podcast. I I really enjoyed our conversation and I'm really excited to read your book. Thank you. I'm excited uh, to see if it has an impact because I I really do believe in the message I talk about. And there are some really cool stories in there about how people have used humor to combat dictators. Uh, 
there is a story in the book that I'm really proud of, of a North Korean former poet laureate who defected and then uh, had a conversation about the interview, the Seth Rogen movie from a while back. And I just think stuff like that's fascinating. And I'm glad that I get to share it with the world. Man, now I'm, now I'm like a little more excited. I'm excited now. Like, <laughs> that was like, that was such a good, a good not a not necessarily a good thing that happened, but like that was a good public thing. I'm all I'm also like I majored in journalism and publicity, so that's what I get. Uh, that was good. That was entertaining. <laughs> well, the North Korean poet laureate basically made the argument that. If that movie was shown in North Korea, it could potentially topple the dictatorship. That that story is pretty incredible. Like, I highly recommend people to at least do a Google search on it if they don't want to read my book and go through all those pages. It's well worth the time. More you know. Where can they find you, Zev, on the internet? Where can they find you? Uh, the best place to find me probably is either through TikTok at Zebulus. That is Z-E-V-U-L-O-U-S or at my website, zevburton.com. Uh, I'm trying to think of other places, but I'm most active on TikTok. That's where, I mean, we've talked about it throughout this interview. If you want to get into contact with me, probably use TikTok or my website. Uh, and I've got contact information there. And I think that's it. I think like you can find my Instagram, my Twitter, everything's under Zebulus. Uh, yeah, that's probably the best place to find me and all the work I'm doing. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Zev, for being on my podcast. And thank you to everybody who's listening, whether this is your first episode or you've been here since day one. I really do, really do appreciate it. And if you or if you know somebody who'd like to be on an episode of Harley's Hot Seat, feel free to DM me at harj98 on Instagram and Twitter. And check out Harley's Hot Seats Instagram page, which is just at Harley's Hot Seat, because that exists now. Thank you, and have a great night.